Good morning. It's good to see you, those of you who are in the building and those of you who are joining us online. You are all very welcome to our time together for worship this morning. Next week is Presentation Sunday, and normally uh, our young people would be getting uh, a gift of some sort as they move classes and and groups and so on. Um, Next week we will all be in the church together. Uh, So all the the young people uh, will be in with us for that. And because we can't do the presentations in the sort of normal way, uh, the main thing that they're going to have is going to be available at the end of the service on the grass opposite the door. Two weeks today, not next week, two weeks today will be our uh, annual meeting, which will form just part of the, uh, the normal service. Um, Accounts are available for anybody who has not seen them uh, yet, who wants to see them and to um, have the opportunity to ask uh, questions uh, of the finance team. Um, That can all be uh, sorted out if you email Julie at the office. Uh, She'll get you to the right folks um, and to those who might be able to answer your questions. So two weeks today uh, for that. And it will also be communion. Now, You know, there's an issue with the serving of communion uh, because we can't pass elements as we would normally do. So, the Kirk session has decided that it's a bring your own. (laughs) Bring your own elements for communion. Now, I mean, I understand that it's bizarre, and I know, you know, some folk watching this online might be horrified at the very thought. I get that, but these are really unusual circumstances. Um, and we, we want to be able to remember all that Jesus has done for us. Uh, and so we want to find a way that allows us to do that and to, to share that remembrance meal together. Uh, and if that's the, the way we can do it at the moment, then that's the way uh, we'll, we'll do it. This morning's uh, reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, starting from verse 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So today we're thinking, as I said, about vocal gifts that God gives. That is, those gifts that God gives to his people that require someone to speak. So we have tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Tongues is the ability to speak in a language not understood by the speaker. So that could be a language that's used in another country on earth, 
but you don't know it, or it could be a heavenly language. Interpretation, then, is the ability to understand the meaning of what has been spoken in a tongue and put it into a language that's understood by the hearers. And prophecy is the ability to speak words given by the Holy Spirit in a language that's known to the hearer. And all three are gifts given by God to the people of God to build them up. Tongues, um, as I said, the ability to speak in an unknown language under the inspiration of Holy Spirit. It, it bypasses cognitive functions of the brain and it comes from uh, the Spirit. That's why it's really valuable for an individual but of, of slightly more limited value in a corporate setting unless there's an interpretation. So, for example, if you go to uh, some uh, Christian conferences, they have a block of music, uh, worship at the start, and during that time, you quite often see people with hands raised, and, and they're speaking to them, it seems to themselves, and they seem to be babbling because you don't understand what they're saying. But, but that's speaking in tongues between them and God. It's their spirit communicating with God. And it's great for them. But it doesn't really help folk round about them who don't get it. Who are not sharing in that. Unless it's proclaimed for other people to hear and is interpreted. Some Christians, particularly in uh, more uh, Pentecostal uh, traditions, believe that tongues is the sign of being filled with uh, Holy Spirit. And, and even sometimes that if you don't speak in tongues, you couldn't possibly be a Christian. There is certainly a pattern in the book of Acts where on different occasions people speak in tongues when they are filled with Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, that was the first opportunity. Then uh, the Samaritan revival or where Cornelius and his household were converted or when uh, the Christians in Ephesus uh, all began to speak in tongues. The problem is that these passages that describe what happened come in the book of Acts and nowhere else. So it's not clear that the one always follows the other. And in fact, in the passage that, that we read today and, and throughout the book of First uh, Corinthians, Paul is really trying to dampen down the enthusiasm that Christians in Corinth have in saying that tongues makes you more spiritual. I think what we can say from the Bible and from experience is that tongues do often come when a person is converted or is filled with the Holy Spirit, but, but not all the time and not permanently. So if you are a believer and you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't mean that you're not spirit-filled. It just means that you don't have the gift of tongues. Paul says that the one who speaks in tongues speaks to God by the Spirit. Some translations say it speaks to God in their spirit, but it can actually mean both. And that's why tongues are sometimes called a prayer language. Does everybody speak in tongues? No. But I suspect that more of us could than do. So what is it that stops us? Well, sometimes there is simply no interest. You know, if you've grown up in a congregation or a denomination where nobody ever spoke about it, nobody spoke about spiritual gifts and, and nobody 
practiced any, any of these things, then why would you have an interest in it? You know, it's, it's beyond your kind of knowledge and experience and understanding. There's no rule that says you have to desire uh, the gift of tongues. But fear and control might also be an issue. Some people really struggle to give up control to the uh, Holy Spirit because it's not cognitive. You know, because it's not this plus this equals that. You know, there's no control over it in your thinking. You can't have it all worked out in advance because you don't know what God is going to do or God is going to say. And because there are those of us who, who in our heads need it all worked out first, it can be really difficult just to, to let God take over. Sometimes we just need to trust God a bit more. And I, I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. It can take a lot to allow God the freedom to move in ways that, that we're not always comfortable with. And then there's prophecy. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word prophecy. Is it the Elijah's and Elisha's of the Old Testament calling down fire and brimstone? Or, or the Daniel speaking to, to folk uh, in, in captivity? And it's, it's a bit weird and wonderful at times. Or maybe it's into the, the New Testament and it's revelation. And it's bizarre. Well, in fact, mostly New Testament prophecy is not like that at all. The prophecy that Paul is speaking about is different uh, to, to those things. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. God does not speak to unbelievers and believers in the same way, necessarily. And there's a distinction between Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. New Testament prophesying is addressed to God's redeemed people and its tone will always be appropriate to God's children. Prophecy is one of the promises of the Holy Spirit's presence. Acts 2, 17 and 18 says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. Young and old, male and female, nobody gets out of it. It's for everybody. Prophecy is simply speaking a word from God under the inspiration of the spirit, often spontaneously, for people strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. It's about building up the church. In practice, it's closely linked with words of knowledge and wisdom uh, that Stephanie was talking about last time. In some circles, prophecy carries almost as much authority as the Bible, and people can be reticent to question a prophet when they give a prophecy. But the Bible actually places some quite strict limits on words of prophecy. First of all, we believe that the Bible is authoritative. So contemporary prophecy is subject to Scripture. So that means when somebody comes along and says, the Lord says, you take it, you think about it, and if you think that is absolutely contrary to what the Bible says, then we go with the Bible. It's pretty straightforward. 
we have both the obligation and the right to check out what someone says against what Scripture says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 to 22 says, don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. It's pretty clear. If someone prophesies something, we need to take it seriously, but not as gospel. I have a friend, and when we were in Preston, we used to meet together, a small group of us, and we, we met for prayer, and we were trying to get better at this whole thing of, of prophecy and listening to God and, and trying to discern God's voice and things. And she was thinking about changing her job. And she had been um, a classroom assistant, and she was thinking of becoming, um, see, I'm having a little mental blank here, and uh, somebody who has children in the house. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Childminder. See, there you go. There's a senior moment for you. I should have written this down instead of making it up. I don't, I don't mean making it up, telling it as I'm going. She was going to be a childminder. That's what she was aiming to do. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And she was, she was you know, praying that God would confirm or um, decline this idea. And then we went to a conference in White Inch Church, where Alan uh, William used to be the minister. And the morning uh, was teaching on prophecy. And that was great. And just before lunch, the guy leading the course said, so that was the theory. In the afternoon, we're going to practice. Well, you should have seen my friend's face. She just, you know, it was just totally out with, you know, uh, her kind of experience. And so lunch was kind of fraught, you know. Um, and in the afternoon, what we did was... Um, divided by the aisle. So you lot go to that side and you lot go to that side and find, find a pair here and a pair here and then we'll get groups of four. And then we'll, we'll just, we'll ask God for words for each other. Well, I mean, she was glowering at me by this point. You know, just what have you got me into kind of thing. And she did, I have to say what I did because I wasn't really that sure either, to be honest. She just said a prayer and that was fine. And then this man in the group, whom she'd never met before, said, I, I have a picture in my mind, and I think it's maybe for you, and it's a picture of you in the house, and it's full of children. And she thought, wow, that is just, that's amazing. And he went on to say some other stuff. And coming away, um, you know, she, she was quite convinced that God had said, I want you, I want, I want you to be a childminder. Now, that, that's absolutely fine. But, but she very wisely and sensibly did not just go and, and announce to everybody, I'm going to be a childminder. Because there was a whole load of steps to go through first. How was it going to work? How was she going to make her house safe? Was she going to get permission from the care inspector and all of that kind of other stuff that goes along with it all? She had all of that process to work through. But in that moment, on that day, God spoke to her. A few years later, he spoke to her again. 
uh, and she now works for the Church of Scotland uh, in Kilmarnock, and she is uh, helping pioneer ministers in the presbytery of Irvine and Kilmarnock because God took the skills that she clearly had. She phoned me about that job and she said, I, I, don't, have the, I don't have the qualifications on paper for this job. What should I do? And now, this was not prophetic. It was because I knew her and I knew her skills. I said, apply for it anyway because you would be brilliant at that. And she got it. And so that's um, what she's doing now. Paul puts prophecy at the top of the list of gifts that we should desire. Why? Because it is so powerful in strengthening, encouraging, and comforting people. Now, it may be like tongues that not all of us will prophesy, and certainly not all of us are called to be prophets. But I suspect that God wants more of us to prophesy than actually do. And I know that there are some people here who are already gifted in prophecy. I need a bit of permission just to use it. And today I want to give you that permission. So if you're sitting here today or at any other day and you think God has a word to say through you, then I would encourage you to contact Julie or John or Elaine. Those of you who come here will know them. And they can get words to whoever's at the front and we will try and incorporate that into our worship. Because if it's to encourage and build up and strengthen people, we need that. We need to hear from God. But there also has to be checks and balances because we don't just want anybody coming up saying anything. It has to be positive and affirming and encouraging. And so that's why there's a need for checks and balances. I mean, I don't know about you, but there are times when I've, I need to be encouraged, when I need to be strengthened, when I need to be comforted. It's obviously a bit more difficult at the moment to do these things, which is why we didn't end up doing some of the things that we had planned for, for these Sundays. But I would, I would encourage you, if you are um, listening to God and praying during the week for God to speak and for God to be at work in our midst when we get together, that, that you, you bring those words that God gives you so that we can share them with uh, the wider congregation. Prophetic ministry is particularly valuable in a small group or a prayer meeting or prayer ministry time when, when God often brings a word for someone and when you're waiting in prayer. Again, we were doing this uh, in, in Prestwick. And one of the things about being a minister is, is people, people are sometimes, not deliberately, but, but a wee bit kind of st standoffish almost, and, 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 and they don't want to pray for you. You know? But actually, can I tell you, ministers need prayer just as much as everybody else, maybe even more so, if we're honest. And so we were in this group, and we were praying for each other. And when I said, right, okay, my turn, you can all pray for me, there was a kind of, <gasps> you know. However, I said, no, no, I'm learning. I, I'm, I'm not making any claim to be an expert here. I just want to make that clear. I am learning the same as everybody else is, is learning. And so one of the things is, um, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Uh, so I sat in the, uh, on the chair and, and people kind of laid hands on and that was fine. And again, as quite often happened, most people just did a nice wee blessed David uh, kind of prayer. And that's absolutely fine. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong with that in any way. But as they were praying, in my head, I had this picture 
and it was grass, and on the grass were like stepping stones. And it made no sense to me whatsoever. Absolutely no sense. And then, as I, I kind of kept praying into that, it kind of opened up a little bit, and here's a white fence. I thought, this is bizarre. This is absolutely bizarre. I have no idea what this is about. I, I'd never been in the house with stepping stones and a white fence. And then one of the ladies who were in the group said, I, I have this picture, and it's kind of, it's grass, and there's something white, but I don't really know what it is. Come back to me, and I'll keep praying about it. So everybody else took their turn, and that was fine, and they came back. And this lady then says, I have a picture of stepping stones on grass leading to a white fence. And when she said the words, the white fence, my picture in my head suddenly opened up, and here's a white fence with a scalloped top and a house. And again, it still didn't really make much sense to me. And having said, stepping stones, grass, white fence, she then said, with a scalloped top and a house behind it. And I think God is saying to you, you are at home. You are in the right place. And it's about peace. And at that very moment, it made sense to me. And I was overwhelmed with a sense of the peace of God. That I was in the right place, doing the right thing with the right people at that moment. And it was incredibly encouraging for me. But how do you know if it's God? Do you know, you're there, you're praying for somebody, and you get a picture, or you get a, a Bible verse, or, or sometimes, you know, you might get a pain where you don't have a pain, and God's maybe saying, pray for them because they, they've got a pain. Do you know? Um, how do you know it's God? Well, sometimes you just have to trust. And don't ever go, God says. Hmm? What you do is, I think... I think God might be saying, I have a picture. Does that make sense to you? Now, if, uh, if Sandy had said to me, I've got this picture and there's grass and, uh, and stepping stones and a, and a white fence, does that make sense to you? I would have gone, no. No, it doesn't make sense to me at all. But when she prayed into it and kept going and went on with the rest of the picture, then it made sense. So it's about just being gentle with people. It's about treating people with respect. It's about building up, not tearing down. Just be gentle. And remember, the biblical principle is, if it's not going to build up, shut up. We need a diversity of gifts, not for their own sake, but because they build up the Christian community and they help us to glorify Jesus. Questions that we need to ask are, what does the Holy Spirit want to do among us? What is it that's going to build up Christ's body in this place? And what is it that's going to bring glory to God? In more conservative or evangelical uh, congregations, uh, you know, we can have a tendency to rationalize our faith. We read Paul's exhortation to do everything in a fitting and orderly way. And we interpret that as meaning we should be able to understand and control everything that's happening. Now, we might not actually say it in those words, but that's how it comes across. God is a God of order and propriety. 
but he is also a God of spontaneity and incredible joy. He's a God of the new. We, if we are believers, are people who have been baptized with the Spirit. So should we not expect the Spirit of God to do things among us that come from more than just our heads? Should we not expect God, who is beyond our understanding, to do things that might just be a little bit mysterious to us? Elaine's going to lead us in prayers for others. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here with us in this place, right now, present with us. We ask that you will help us to be aware of this in a special way today. Because we need you, Lord. We can't get along without you, though so often we think we can. And so we ask you to teach us, Lord. Show us how to walk by faith as Abraham did, how to talk to you as a friend like Moses, how to wrestle with you like Jacob over the things we find difficult. Keep us engaged with you, Lord, not just drifting along. Sometimes we need to go against the tide for your sake. Help us, Lord, because that's not easy. We say we believe, but actually we need your help with our unbelief. Teach us, Lord. Show us how to have more faith. Lord, there are big things going on in the political world. The G7 conference, with leaders from the richest parts of the world meeting to, change, to plan for change. We pray for that summit, that there might be the will to work together for the good of poorer nations and for the health of the environment. But Lord, there are even bigger things going on behind the scenes in your kingdom, where you are working to bring about your purposes in your world. And we pray for that, that your kingdom may come and that your will, not ours, be done. Give us faith to see it. We pray for the changes that are going on nationally in the church. We pray for wisdom about how to make best use of resources, how to keep going through COVID, how to adapt buildings so that church is seen by others as though it were a home lived in, familiar, welcoming, cared for, inviting. Show us how to reach out, how to find our place in the community. We pray for those who lead us in this church, for David, for Elaine, for Stephanie, for Julie, for John, for Caitlin, who work together as a team to minister to us. We ask especially for Elaine just now, that you would restore her to full health and strength. We pray for the elders, and we thank you for them. We commit especially the outcome of yesterday's Kirk Session Conference, when the elders met together to discuss many things related to our welfare as a church. We pray for the decisions taken, 
and the issues that still need to be thought through. We pray for all the different ministries in the church, for those involved in pastoral care, outreach, music, prayer, craft, Bible study, for special interest groups like Connect Plus. We pray for those who care for children and families who strive each day for a work-life faith balance in a fast-paced world. We thank you for those whose heart is for the persecuted church and who commit faithfully to pray for those who suffer for following you. We pray for those who care for the finances, do the administration, care for the building to keep it safe and in good order, for those who give their technical skills and for those who are willing to learn new skills so that services can be recorded and delivered online. We thank you for those who welcome us as we come, whether virtually or physically, week by week. We thank you for those who embroider and knit and crochet and sew to design artifacts to beautify this place of worship and to tell the good news of Jesus to others. We thank you for all those who work in quiet ways which go unnoticed except by you. In all these things we give thanks for faithfulness and dedication and a willingness to work together, each according to ability and for the good of the body of Christ in this place. So, Lord, thank you that you are here with us in this place right now, present with us. We ask that you will help us to be aware of this in a special way today. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing it together the last hymn today, Spirit of God Unseen as the Wind. then in the power of the Spirit to bring glory to God and hope to your neighbor and the love of Christ into every part of your life. And as you go, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Spirit go with you and those whom you love now and always. Amen.